Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to The Rock, we would love to connect with you. You can text Rock Up KC to 816-307-1611 for a Connect card, and a member of our team will be in touch with you shortly. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give safely and securely through our app and on our website at rockupkc.com. Your generous giving through The Rock supports many ministries locally and globally. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Welcome to the Building Church. Welcome online. And thank you, truly thank you all for being generous. Uh, God blesses us to be a blessing. That's the Abrahamic covenant that we've been grafted into, that we've been learning about through the book of Ephesians. God says, I'll bless you, and then I want you to be a blessing. And so we're not to be the Dead Sea. Uh, We receive, we give, freely we receive, freely give. It's the heart and the spirit of God. It's the heart and spirit of Scripture. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a community of people who believe that. And uh, we're going to, we love to just take a, a time during Christmas and give our missionaries who usually live on a shoestring budget anyway, uh, just an extra special blessing this time of year. And so if everyone will do a little bit, it'll turn it into a lot and it'll bring a blessing into their lives. Amen. All right. Um, I just want to uh, give praise to God. Uh, Friday night, uh, the women filled this house. Uh, the ladies were in the house. Some over 350 some women came out to the cherish gathering and uh, experienced God in powerful ways. Several women gave their life to Christ. Can we give God glory for that? Can we give praise? You know, the Bible says there's more joy in heaven, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous who need not to repent. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love filling heaven with joy. There's more joy. Praise God for the joy that's in heaven, but there's more joy. Angels rejoice because they don't get that opportunity to give their life to Christ. I mean, they didn't disobey, and so those angels are with him. And there's celebration every time someone gives their life to Christ. And so I pray that we'll never minimize, never minimize the fact that through uh, your life or my life or through what we do corporately that someone comes to know Jesus. I mean, if that doesn't excite us, then we need to repent. We are in need of repentance because we've lost the reality of that time that we first believe. And, um, well, I'm going to start preaching now uh, about first love, first love. You don't, you don't ever leave your first love, or you don't ever lose it. You leave it. That's what Jesus said. You've left your first love. He didn't say you lost it. You left it. How do you leave it? Through neglect, through worry, through distraction, through things that are more important. I used to be really excited about worship. I used to be really excited about the Bible. and I used to be, wouldn't miss a Bible study. I used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday Wednesday Bible study. How many remember those days? Like, you, I mean, you just didn't miss. Like, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then pizza after Sunday service, uh, Sunday evening service. I mean, it was, and then what, what happens? I mean, stuff just, you know, well, I got this, I got that, and man, I can't even get up now to go, but I got the convenience of, I can watch it later. And um, you just start drifting, drifting away, and um, you get caught up. And stuff that in, in the long run doesn't matter for eternity. 
And uh, lost people don't matter to you. Salvation doesn't matter. Hey, I'm good. I got my life. Make sure God's there. You know, I check in with him. And, uh, but I got a good life, and I'm, I'm thankful and grateful, but not really that concerned about what really we're to be about, which is the gospel of the kingdom going throughout the earth. And um, I just, we need, we need to wake up. Uh, we do. We need to wake up and understand that God's got a global plan that he's working in the earth, and we're to be a part of that. And um, it's just on my heart, so I guess I'm going to, I guess I'm, I got the mic, and so I'm, I'm taking the time to share it. Um, but, I, but when you pray, uh, just don't think about your family. Think about uh, the, the earth, the families of the earth that, that are still without. Think about your brothers and sisters in Christ who pay a price to come to a gathering like you're doing right now. They literally risk their jobs and their life to go to a home church in China, underground church. They, they risk persecution or jail time. And uh, think about that because they're your brothers and sisters. You know, they are. You're, they're, you're, we're one family in the earth. And um, it, so it was a big deal uh, that a space and place is created for women Friday night to come to Christ. And thank you for all of you that participated in, and worked hard and beautified this place. Isn't this beautiful? Like, this is just, I mean, the, and the, what's happened in the foyer, just, it was a spirit of welcome. We, we, we wanted you to come. You've invited to come. And uh, we prepared a place for you to encounter God in a special way. And so people sang and shared their testimonies and gifts were given. And it was just a, a moment and time of beauty uh, and for God to work. And so... You're giving, you're praying, you're participating, you coming here today. All of it is collectively part of what God wants to do in us and through us that's bigger than any one individual. And so we give God praise and glory. Amen. All right, you ready to get into the word some more? All right, you ready to dig into the book of Ephesians as we're studying that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are awesome and wonderful. You are beautiful you are good to us, and we, we come here not just because it's Thanksgiving week, but because you're a good God all the time. You're good 365 days a year, 24-7. You give new mercies every morning, and Lord, we want to be a grateful people. We never want to be ungrateful. We do not want to be the nine blind men who didn't come back to give thanks. We want to be that one who comes back to say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to gather in corporate worship. Thank you for this opportunity to live here in this world, in this place, in, in America, which we get to live with so many privileges, so many amenities. God, thank you, and we bless you today. Now, Lord, write your word upon a tablet of our heart. Give us the faith, God, and the grace to mix it with faith so that we don't just hear it, but we, we put it into practice so that we prove to be your disciples. We bear fruit. And we glorify you, our Father in heaven. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, let's jump right in. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We have 133 verses this morning because I've added a bunch of others to correlate, to confirm the scripture, confirm scripture. Now, we're going to go through, uh, we'll attempt to go through 33 verses. Y'all ready? 
So point number one, I have 40 points. Well, no, I don't. I'm teasing. Divide that by eight and you'll, no, divide it by five and you'll know how many I have. Uh, but it's the subpoints. If I just stick to the points, it's the subpoints that fill, the, fill it all up. Walk in love. I love this part in Ephesians. I love it. Paul kind of gave the reasons of what's happened and all that God's done for us. And now he moves into the practical. He moves into the evidence that you have encountered God, that you have joined yourself to a body. There's evidence. How many of you remember Josh McDowell's books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict? Okay, evidence. You heard the whole story. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Huh? Would there be enough evidence that Jesus has really moved into your life, that you, he's the Lord of your life, that you've surrendered to him? Would there really be enough evidence? I'm not talking about what you say, but are the convictions there? Is a lifestyle there? Has there proof all along that you've always held to these beliefs? Where's the fruit? You know, show me the money. Walk in love. So he says, walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in Walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. How many of you want a sweet-smelling aroma to go up to God because of your walk? I do. I want, I want my walk, and when we talk about walk, it's not, just, it's not just physically walking. It's about your way of life, your rhythm of life. Does your walk have a sweet-smelling aroma, or does someone come say, well, here comes sourpuss. Who woke up grumpy today? Or did you let him sleep? What are we talking about? You, you have a reputation. You have a walk. You have an aroma of your life. And so God says, I want you to walk in love because I've loved you. And just like God, through Jesus, gave himself as a sacrifice, that's walking in love, it was a sweet smelling aroma to God. And so he tells you and I, walk in love. Paul is continuing his exhortation from Ephesians 4 of how we are to relate to one another. Remember at the end of Ephesians 4? Be angry, but do not sin. Stop lying to one another. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all clamor, let all evil speaking be put away from you. This is how we're to relate to one another. Why? Because we're members of one another. And then he says, be imitators of God. This idea is simple. We are to make God our example and model. We can't content ourselves comparing ourselves among each other. We're to make God our model. We're to imitate God. Paul even said, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. If I don't imitate Christ in the way I'm living, don't follow me in this way. Like rebuke me, (laughs) admonish me, bring correction to my life. We are to be imitators of God. People say, you know, all these advertisements like, do you want to drive a Lamborghini? Do you want to, you know, look at my house. I'm out here in Malibu and I got this house. And do you want to, this is a life and this is what you need. And it's some, it's some scheme. You pay me three or $4,000, I'll teach you how to trade crypto or whatever it might be. 
or I'll get you into Amazon and you get your business going. And so they put this out here, riches, fame, fortune. You can have money, women, wine. You know, you don't have to drink, drink cheap whiskey anymore. You can have the finest. This is what the image that's put there. But no, we're to be imitators of God. And then he says, as dear children. Childlike faith is not childish faith. Childlike faith is not childish faith. We're to become like a child. But we're not to be childish. Come on. How many of you know a lot of adult children? Huh? They pout. They stir up trouble. That's mine. He took that. She took that. He hit me first. Dear children, as dear children, children are natural imitators, aren't they? They're they're natural imitators. Our four grandchildren spent the night, Friday night, and my wife started a tradition where we go get the Samaritan boxes and then they get to pick out the toys and the things for the kids and then we ship them off and then we watch a movie and pop popcorn and they want M&M's in their popcorn and they all want to, need to know these details, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, but they, they have recently loved to go in my office, close the door and I hear them in there because they're sitting at the desk, they're rearranging everything and my piles get rearranged and I don't know where anything is I love neat and order, but I live out of piles. I wish I'm messy, pretty much. I need some help in my garage. Someone could help me organize it, because I, 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 stop, Philip, go over there, okay. <laughs> Honey, you didn't have to say that loud enough for everyone to hear. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> but they love, and they're, they're playing school. And one of them's the teacher. And they're bringing correction. I, it's just what that's what children do they imitate and we're to be it's dear children childlike without being childish just imitating God why did you forgive them I, I'm imitating God why did you bless that person that you just that just cursed you and flipped you off because I'm imitating God because he's kind even to the unkind and he died while we were yet sinners and so you wouldn't have been saved and I wouldn't have been saved if he hadn't done that, you understand it. So I'm going to be gracious because he's gracious to me. When we act according to our nature as children of God, we will imitate him. As we do imitate God, we become representatives of God, especially before those who have shut God out of their life. You are the Bible, you are the only Bible some people will even pick up ever. You are. You're the billboard. For something. <laughs> Spurgeon writes, what are we sent into the world for? He asks the question, what are we sent into the world for? Is it not that we may keep men in mind of God, whom they most anxious are most anxious to forget? If we are imitators of God as dear children, they will be compelled to rec- recollect that there is a God, for they will see his character reflected in ours. 
I have heard of an atheist who said he could get over every argument except the example of his godly mother. He could never answer that. I remember there's times that I have played golf throughout my life. I played at it. And uh, it, it's inevitable when you get on the golf course. And if you get paired up with, like if you're a twosome, you get paired up with a couple others. And so it's inevitable that if, uh, by, sometimes at the first hole or third or fourth or fifth, it gets around to. So what do you do? You know, it's like, what do, what do you do? And then it comes out. Well, I'm, I'm a pastor. I pastor a church. And then all the apologies start. Oh man, I mean all the, I mean seriously, but one time we got paired up with a couple retired military guys on the first hole and they, they started, at the, so what do you guys do? You know, so well, you know, we're retired this, this guy was, I don't know, general, one of them was and different things and um, then the, the guy I was with says, well, uh, I do this and this is my pastor. <laughs> so we went through the first hole I think at the second hole, they said, hey, they're not busy today. Um, you guys seem to be playing a little better than you. Why don't, why don't you guys go on? <laughs> you know, because I guess it would rain on their parade. I have people pause. I mean, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I just, uh, gosh, I, you know, if I'd have known your pastor, I wouldn't have been talking like that. And I go, uh, I'm not wet behind the ears here, guys. I said, you're, you're not saying anything I haven't heard. I said, in fact, you don't have to answer to me at all. It's God you have to answer to. <laughs> and you don't have to say much after that. <laughs> I just don't have to be agnostic, and we don't have to, you know, point our finger in people's face. You just show up and be light. And, it, and it'll bring conviction. <laughs> We're to be imitators of God as children. Point two, forsake the darkness. So walk in love, forsake the darkness. Paul then contrasts walking in love with conduct not fitting for the Christian. But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Paul uses a comprehensive list of sexual sins. This is R-rated version of Ephesians 4, okay? It's just there. It's an adult book, and we're in adult service. And Paul doesn't pull back from it. Fornication, the word pornea, it's a broad word describing sexual sin. Uncleanness, another broad word for dirty or moral behavior, especially in sexual sense. Filthiness, which has the much same ideas. Uncleanness and coarse jesting, which has the idea of inappropriate, impure, impure sexual humor. We must notice the theme of moral appeal. It isn't avoid these things that you can be a saint. Rather, you are a saint now. Live in a manner fitting for a saint. Do you see it? I'm not avoiding that to be a saint. No, I am a saint. And now it's not fitting for me. I've shared my testimony before. Before I got saved, I loved to sin. Sin was pleasurable. Even if it was costly, I want to do it again. Because sin has pleasure in it. But it results in death. And so when I gave my life to Christ, all of a sudden, when I sinned, I felt guilt. 
that I didn't feel before. Are you hearing me? Because I wasn't born again. And so I had no change. And you do what the world does. And you do what the flesh does. And then you brag about it and let's go do it again. But once you're changed, all of a sudden your conscience has been awakened. You're, you were dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. And now I'm alive. And it's like, it's not fun anymore. Like, I feel guilt and I feel shame that I've never had before because of what had changed. And he says, now I'm to put that away. Paul follows this principle. You can see it as it's writing. He tells us what we must not do or what we are to do. Walk in love, forsake darkness. You see it? Then he tells us why. He gives us the reason. Because it's not fitting for a saint. It's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. Now you put off the old. That's what he talked about in Ephesians 4. Put off the old. Put off lying. Put off cheating and stealing. Work with your own hands. See, this is what he said. Put that off because you're a new man in Christ. You're a new creation. You're a new community. Quit uh, having all these ethnic battles because there's one Lord, one faith, one God, one baptism of us all. That's your one new humanity, your one body, your members of one another. He's given us the constant reasons why. So this emphasis on sexual sin was appropriate. The culture of Paul's day and the city of Ephesus especially was given over to sexual immorality. Positively, the Christian is to give thanks for sex. So come on, Christians, give thanks for sex. It's God's idea. You wouldn't be here if it weren't. So sex is not dirty. It's not shameful. But God has boundaries for it. It's called the fireplace of the covenant of marriage. Fireplaces that are good. They bring warmth. They bring beauty. They bring aesthetic value to a home. But you don't get to come into my home and change where the fire goes. It goes in the fireplace. It doesn't go in the living room. It doesn't go in the kitchen. You'll burn the house down. And so when we engage in sex outside of God's containment or boundaries of beauty and covenant where we don't bring any disease because we've got one man for a lifetime. I don't have to worry about STDs. I have to worry about all this other stuff. Why? Because I've been faithful to my husband. I've been faithful to my wife. And this is the way God has it. And there's protection there. And there's beauty and there's warmth. And when I do my premarital counseling, I tell them, I said, listen, God is not a killjoy. God invented this. But he has boundaries for it. So it's a fire and lust is a fire. And we know what happens when lust goes unchecked. Men commit adultery, women commit adultery, houses get burned down, not physically, but, but they do. Uh, kids get uh, separated from their parents, on and on, right? It brings destruction, doesn't it? We don't break the laws of God, they break us. And so we, when I share with my premarital couples, I said, listen, God's kept this for the covenant of marriage. It's like Jay remembers the talk. A long time ago when I used to give to the youth about, you know, no peeking before you open your present. So marriage is like a present. Sex is like a present. And it's meant to be kept and opened at the appropriate time. Oh, gosh. 
oh, pastor, could you not have warned us? Like, we, I would have watched online and shut this part off or something, you know? But I say, hey, listen, it's a gift from God. It's meant for procreation, for enjoyment. That's, it's a gift. I mean, why would you read stuff in the Bible like, mm, drink wine from her belly button? Yeah, it's in there. Uh, you, the guys, think God's a prude. Oh, don't even talk to me about the Song of Solomon. You, you all want to spiritualize that. <laughs> See it, Jeremy. So I say, listen. Covenant of marriage is a place where it's safe. You've both committed each other. You're naked and unashamed. So let the fire burn and let it burn often to the glory of God. And all the men and women said amen. <laughs> okay. All right. It's a gift. Point number three, the consequences. What happens when we don't walk in love? What happens when we don't forsake the darkness? What happens, the consequences? For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. You see, the people mentioned in Ephesians 5.3, the fornicator, the unclean person, and the covetous person have no inheritance in God's kingdom. If God's kingdom is alive in them, a transformation has occurred so that they cannot rest in the habitual practice of these things. That's what I was saying when I first gave my life to Christ. I, I didn't know the stuff I was doing was sinful. I mean, maybe some of it. But a lot of it, there was just no conscience for it. Because I was dead. And, but when I was made alive to Christ, all of a sudden, conviction, 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 conviction. And I had a decision to make. Am I going to be miserable? <laughs> or am I going to turn from this and let God have its work in my life? And I, I'll just say this. The life with Christ is so much better. The only regret I have about giving my life to Jesus at around 18 and a half, 19 years old, was I didn't do it sooner. I mean, seriously, it's the only regret I have. See, we cannot allow empty words to excuse or minimize the judgment due to the practice of these sins. Well, everyone does it. Sleeping, you know, moving in is the new dating, pastor. No, it's coming out of the mouths of Christians. Moving in, shacking up, sex before marriage. It's the new dating. It's sin. God calls it fornication. Well, you just can't expect a man to be faithful. And I hear that too. You hear it. Empty words of deception. 
We cannot allow empty words to excuse or minimize the judgment due to the practice of these sins. It is certain that because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You want to read another passage of scripture that will really rattle your chain? Go, go meditate on Don't do it now because I want you to listen to the message. But the Holy Spirit led me to it during worship. That's why I got my iPad. I was like, okay, it's in the Psalms, but which one? And Psalm 50. You just go read Psalm 50. It'll sober you up. But it talks about the people who discount the, Bible, the word of God and just throw it behind them. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of Christians today that say, well, I, I don't have a biblical stance for, for what I believe. It's just how I feel. <laughs> that's, that's danger. Danger zone. Danger zone. Something like that. Who sings danger zone? Huh? I didn't hear it. I don't. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, Danger Zone. It's, it's, I'm hearing it right in my head, but it doesn't come out right. <laughs> All right, point number four. We got to move. We're to walk in light. Walk in light. These are imperatives. These aren't suggestions. This is what we're being told to do. This is how we're to walk. When you don't know what to do, just open your Bible. It's very clear on what to do. Most people are not, they say, well, I'm just confused. You're not confused. You, it's very clear what you need to do right now about this relationship, but you don't want to do it. And so now you, you throw up the confusion point. You're not confused at all. What you don't like is the choice that you're going to have to make because it's going to have consequences that you don't want to have to face. That's really the most part. Most people are not confused. They use confusion as excuse to not make a decision I've been pastoring and counseling with people for a long time, and you see the patterns consistent over and over again. Nothing new under the sun. It's real clear. For you once, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Walk in the light. That's why you're always hearing me exhort you to get into the word and get the word into you. Why? Because the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It, it was a, a symbol of, of lanterns that they would actually attach to their ankles or their feet when they'd walk by night. And they would have these lanterns and they would help light the path so they didn't fall in a ditch or fall in a hole. And you and I are given God's word to be a light to our path. To be a light so that we'll know where to turn and we'll know what God thinks about things and how God feels about things and the nature of God and the character of God so we're not just making it up based on whatever the whim of the moment is. We're men and women who are in the light of God's word and this light is shining and it washes us and renews us so that we might think the thoughts after God as one theologian says. 
And then we're to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Adam Clark thought that the phrase not as fools was connected to the practices of devotion to the ancient god Bacchus, worship with drinking and partying. This is what these people did in these times. Do not become madmen. Here is a most evident allusion to the orgies of Bacchus in which this his votaries acted like madmen, running about, tossing their heads from shoulder to shoulder, appearing to be, in every sense, completely frantic. Redeeming the time. There were two ancient Greek words for time. One had the idea simply of day upon day and hour upon hour. The other had the idea of a definite portion of time, a time where something should happen. It is the difference between time and the time. The idea here is of the time. It is definite season of opportunity that Christians must redeem. This same word is translated opportunity in Galatians 6.10. As we have therefore opportunity. It's a season of time. There's an opportunity. We had an opportunity to do run to stop it. It was a season of time for us to bless and, and, and to support human trafficking. There's seasons and there's times. And that's the, what he's talking about. Redeem your moments. Redeem the opportunity. Hey, when your child is ready to talk, redeem it. Because you can't mold dry clay. But listen, parents, when the moment is there, I don't care if it happened chronologically. It's not set on your calendar. Redeem the time. Seize the opportunity. Mold the clay while it's wet. And that's for all of us. There are moments, there are seasons. When was the time to buy Google? For me, when I thought it was too high at $80 a share and I didn't seize the opportunity, the window closed. Redeem the time. Be sensitive to the movement of God in the spirit. Yes, you've got your calendar. Yes, you've got your chronological time. Yes, you've got your plan. But guess what God does sometimes? He interrupts it. And because we can't, we can't be flexible and we can't be fluid, we miss opportunities. Israel had an opportunity. They had a time. They had a season. And Jesus said, oh, Israel, Israel, I would have, I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks, but you would not. They didn't seize their moment because they were too fixated on I'm so busy I got this to do I got that to do my calendar's full through the month no I can't take time for lunch I, no, 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 no I got no time for time I've got no time for interruptions I got no time for divine appointments I've got no time for the activity of the Holy Spirit unless he gives it to me a month in advance Seize opportunity for the glory of Jesus. Why? Because the days are evil. That's why. He tells you why. Why? The days are evil. Matthew 24 says this. Jesus spoke of a time when many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise. If you walk with spiritually minded people, you'll be spiritually minded. If you walk with cocky and arrogant and disregarding people, that's how you'll become. And then he says in verse 6, or I mean my sixth point, walk in the fullness and overflow of the Holy Spirit. Walk in love, walk in light, forsake darkness. Walk in the fullness and overflow of the Holy Spirit. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. All right, listen here. Drunkenness in the Bible is never referred to as a good thing. There's always bad that comes out of drunkenness in the Bible. We're not to get drunk with alcohol and other drugs. We're not to come outside of our conscience on these things. Okay, this is just God's parameters and boundaries for our good and for his glory. But rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's why it's important for us to come together in corporate worship. It's important for us because partly it's our priestly responsibility to give to God. Sacrifices of praise, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody and heart to God. That's why Jeremy says, like, don't let a rock outcry you. You are a living stone. You are a living stone to give sacrifices of praise. I'm going to be doing a teaching sometime soon. I don't know how soon, but it's, going, it's coming. Uh, on the priesthood of believers. Uh, the priesthood of believers. And so for people to come together and not offer sacrifice and praise, you are, not, you are neglecting your priesthood. It's part of your priestly privilege, let alone responsibility. All right, I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul's grammar here clearly says this. In the Greek, it literally means be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit or be on being filled. Why? Because you leak. I leak. I get squeezed by life. Problems, frustration, people, situations, pressures. Don't you? Come on. Everyone have just a rosy life and all. everyone does everything you say the way they want you to say it and do how you want to do. And you don't ever have to, you know, remind people to pick up their clothes or close doors or turn off lights or whatever it is. You know, there's bills to be paid. Cats in the cradle and a silver spoon. Okay. And we, got, we get busy, right? And life comes and we lose, we leak. We leak and so I got to be on being filled. This is not a one-time event. The ancient Greek grammar for be filled also indicates two other important things. First, the verb is passive so that this is not a manufactured experience. It's passive. You can't manufacture in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You, gotta, you can only receive. You don't manufacture. Okay? That's the first. Second, it's imperative. So it's not optional. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with songs and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in your heart from God. It's a command. Do this. 
You're getting drunk on worry. You're getting drunk on anxiety. You're getting drunk on complaining. You're getting drunk on it's not fair. You're getting drunk on poor me. Stop getting drunk on that. And fill your heart and your mind with the goodness of God and begin to be thankful. Do you have anything you can be thankful for? I'm breathing. Give thanks to God. I have clothes on. Praise be to God. You know, <laughs> Woo! thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, you have shoes on your feet. Did you get here in a car? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have a bed with blankets on it to go sleep in? And I come on now. Do all of this with thanks be to, to God. Drunkenness is dissipation. That word, dissipation, what does it mean? It means it's a waste. It dissipates like fireworks. Woo! Where'd it go? Dissipated. And drunkenness makes you waste resources. Proverbs says the guy who gets drunk and gets hit over the head doesn't remember a thing. He says, gets up the next day and let's do, let's do it again. It's just a waste. The spirit-filled life is marked by worship and gratitude. The spirit-filled life is marked by worship and gratitude. A complaining heart and the Holy Spirit just don't go together. The spirit-filled people will practice mutual submission, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is mutual submission. I submit to the gift of God in your life. You submit to the gift of God in my life. We love each other. We're not lying to each other. We're not trying to vie for each other's position. We are walking in love. We're walking in light. And guess what? We're going to yield one to another, and we're going to get a better product out of this to the glory of God than we would when we demand our own way. And if a gift moves in that's greater than my gift or smarter than my gift, then I would be wise to yield to it, would I not? Anyone who has served in the armed forces, Wearsby writes, knows that rank has to do with order and authority, not with value or ability. Okay? Because there are some people that have more rank than you that aren't smarter than you. They're not more godly than you. But they have a higher rank. The words in the fear of God describe what should be our motive for submitting to one another. We should submit to one another. These see ourselves no longer in an individual, individualistic way, but as a unit, as a company or a battalion out of respect for God the Father and respect for Jesus. It's not that I'm the boss of you. That's not the heart and the attitude of it. But listen, there can only be one hand on the steering wheel at a time unless you've got your grandchild on your lap and you're overpowering them. You understand? And this is the idea. Well, no, I want it to go this way. I want it to go that way. See, that's what happened. We put a committee together, and this is the carpet we came up with. They couldn't decide on a color, so we just made them all different colors. I'm teasing about that. But, but there's a lot of truth in it. <laughs> I mean, not for this place, but in other places. I'm telling you, there's a lot of truth in that because everyone wants, no, 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 no. That's why we won't, we put teams together and we have captains over those teams, there's leaders, and we're not having committees and they don't all have equal vote because somebody ultimately has to make a decision. If they all agree on it, good. But if they don't, you got to, you know, this is what we're going to do. And so you need to come into alignment with it. It's not ungodly. 
There's no Bible verse over it. You know, we're not, we're going to have a right heart, right attitude, and we're going we're gonna to come under authority, and we're going to say, you know what? You're the leader. You made the decision. Let's go. But see, when we're individualistic, my world, my way, what I want, when I want, where I want, I'm a child of God, I'm a king's kid, I submit to no one except God. Then he moves into marriage, Christ in the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Yes, submit, woman. That's the way. Now, this is the way this Bible, this is the way this has been used for centuries, and women have been abused by it. Women have been abused by this. Submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Submission does not mean inferiority. Submission does not mean silence. Submission means submission. There is a mission for the Christian marriage, and that mission is obeying and glorifying God. The wife says, I'm going to put myself under the mission. That mission is more important than any individual desire. I'm not putting myself below my husband. I'm putting myself below the mission God has for our marriage and my life. The Bible never commands a general submission of women unto men in society. And that has been abused throughout the centuries. In no place does the scripture teach an unqualified, without exception, submission except to God and God alone. To violate this is to commit the sin of idolatry. A woman does not have to submit her husband to her husband in the area of sin. She doesn't have to submit to her husband in the area of domestic abuse or emotional abuse. And there have been, this, this scripture has been used to abuse women more than you'll believe. And then he says to husbands, lead the way in love. Lead the way in love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, and that he might present to her himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. That's what I tell my wife all the time. Honey, I want to love your body. It's my body. I want to love my body. All right, see, I want to love my body for... Yes. Honey, I just want to love my body here. It's a it's biblical. Everyone's looking at her. Like everyone's looking at her. He is gonna be in so much trouble when he gets home. Well, making up is awesome. All right. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And this is the rhythm of a good marriage. This isn't about you being the boss over your wife, man. That's not the heart and the spirit of this at all. The heart and the spirit is that we love God. We both love God. And I'm going to give her something to want to respect. And she's going to give me something that I want to love. 
because we're reflecting God and we're dancing this dance called marriage. And yes, at times we get out of sync and yes, at times we step on each other's feet and yes, at times we want to throw each other away. But guess what? God doesn't do that to us so we're not going to do it to each other. See, this is the beauty of this scripture. We are listening to the music of heaven and God is the great conductor and the, uh, the, the artist of this music and we're coming into rhythm with it and it's called marriage and it's to reflect the gracious love that Christ has for the church and we reflect it in our marriage. This is God's will and all of God's people said amen and you need to stand because I'm finished. Let's pray. Oh, Father, our Father, your word is so true, it's so practical. It's easy to preach. It's another thing to live. And we need grace to live this, God. We need grace to walk in love. We need grace to walk in life. We need grace, oh God, to, to submit to one another. Because we're often filled with insecurities and su su suspicions. And we've been hurt. And trust isn't always there. But oh God, oh God, we pray for the help of heaven. We pray for the help of heaven. If you need the help of heaven in your marriage, in your life, you need the help of heaven to, to turn away and forsake darkness, just lift your hand. If you admit that you need uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, just lift your hand. Lord, my hand's lifted for all of this. I need grace. I need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We all do. And God, for some, we need salvation. And if you need salvation, call upon him right now. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just call out to Jesus. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I give my life to you. You gave your life for me. I give it to you. Save me, forgive me, fill me with your spirit. Make me all that you want me to be, for now I'm yours. And God, we give you our lives, individually and corporately. Have your way here at the Rock of KC. Have your way in the heart of everyone who hears and listens, whether near or far that your kingdom might come and your will might be done and you may be glorified in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Give him honor and give him amen. glory.